Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Hi, everybody. My name's Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Like you said, my home group's the Sunday morning speaker meeting on River Road. And I'm also looking for a speaker this coming Sunday because the other guy just canceled, so. (laughs) Look out. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. I I always feel like it's a a real honor to share at an AA meeting. Um, And I feel, I feel so blessed with my sobriety because, you know, I I was out of control. I mean, from, from the word go. Uh, I'm thinking about the first time I really drank. Um, I'm from the Chicago area. And, uh, well, the first time I drank, I was at a Pizza Hut up in Madison, Wisconsin. Now, why do people remember stuff like that? You know, it's like... (laughs) But um, the first time I got drunk was uh, my parents uh, were going... They were going up to Wisconsin. And uh, they said, take care of the house, Jim. This is the first time they ever let me keep the house, you know? And uh, so my buddies and I decided we're all going to throw a party. The next thing we know, we got 40 people from my senior high school class <laughs> drinking in there. And my best buddy smashed the gutters on the one, smashed the, uh, uh, the thing on the windows, whatever you call those. And, uh, oh, my God. And then one of my neighbors, you know, behind me, you know, just just looked at me, you know, it's just, what are you doing? My parents never said anything to me because I'm sure my, my neighbor said something to them. But um, I only remember half the night because I went into a blackout, you know? I just, I don't know how many beers I drank, eight or 10, 12, I don't know. But I went into a blackout. You know, I, I think about, you know, at that age, 17 years old, and, you know, we were having a lot of fun in high school and stuff like that. And in Illinois, the, the drinking age is 21, but we go up to Wisconsin, the drinking age is 18. So we're going up there every weekend. We're driving up to Kenosha, um, just drinking beer like crazy. I can remember we used to buy cases of Kingsbury beer, five bucks a case, returnable bottles. You know, we used to run up there for, for beer and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, at the, fun, at, the, at the beginning, it was fun. But, you know, I, I need to, if I want to talk about my alcoholism, I really need to talk about the way I grew up and before I even picked up a drink. Because I, I think of the way I used to feel, and I just, uh, I, I just feel like I didn't belong. I didn't even feel like I belonged to my own family. Um, and, and I think of the guys that I hung out with. I mean, we never talked about anything. We, we played ball together. We golfed and stuff like that. But we never talked about what was going on inside, you know, because, you know, I was just uh, a bundle of fear. That's the only way I can describe how I felt growing up. And I hated my father. And I really hated my My dad was... He was an alcoholic, but, he, you know, he was like a rageaholic. He loved to yell and stuff. But um, I remember my brother, my little brother. I've been spending some time with my brother here the last couple of months. Um, 
And he and I said, I'm never going to be like my father, you know. And I try not to be because I don't like yelling and screaming at people. <laughs> you know, but sometimes I work in insurance, you know, I get a, a customer service and that doesn't always work, you know, because sometimes it, uh, people get pissed off and sometimes I get caught up, but whatever. Um, so that was fine. Um, and what happened then, um, my older brother um, was going to school at the University of Tennessee. And so I decided to go to the University of Tennessee. And then after me, my little brother went up to the University of Tennessee. So, so I was off the University of Tennessee. And I'll tell you, just when I got there, I mean, it was culture shock growing up in the suburbs of Chicago. I mean, to, you know, a lot of these people coming in from rural Tennessee and stuff. And, you know, I, and I also, was, you know, I grew up in a high school. I mean, there were no Hispanics, there were no blacks. It was just a white neighborhood. It was white, and we're mostly, uh, we were Jewish. A lot of the class was Jewish. And uh, so it was like kind of a shock. And, but it was neat. Um, and one thing is, you know, mom and dad aren't around anymore, you know? And I can just drink. I can drink the way I want to drink. And so I did a lot of drinking. I mean, my dormitory was like on the corner of Cumberland and some other street. And at Cumberland was called the Strip. Nothing but bars for blocks. And you know where I was all the time. You know, bars close at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know where I am? I'm at the bar. You know? I remember down, they also they have an open beer ordinance down there. So you can't, you're not supposed to walk around with your beer, you know? And the bars would close and I would take my beer with me. You know, I, I got arrested a couple of times for open beer ordinance. It's just, uh, just stupid stuff. I just wouldn't listen to authority. I always had problems with authority. So it was okay for a while, but my disease is, uh, is starting to go on warp speed. Um, you know, when I was down there, I mean, a lot of people were, uh, I, I don't know, there was a message. We're talking about uh, the mid-1970s. And I just, I mean, yeah, I remember later on you would hear, say no to drugs. And, and I didn't get that message. I mean, I just... It was kind of like yes to everything. And I was a real garbage head. Um, and I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I even have a brain to think with. Because I think of the way I drank and drugged, I mean, I was, I was really out of control. I, I mean, I was totally massively out of control. Um, I, I can still remember going over to somebody's house and, you know, we were using drugs and we went up to place a pool at his place. At his, at his dormitory, and the next thing I remember is I'm waking up in University of Tennessee Hospital, you know, and I don't know what's happened or anything, and apparently I was playing pool with the guy, and it was a aluminum pool stick, and he, and he just took that stick, and he just like opened my head up on a pool table, you know, just, you know, I don't remember anything. You know, it's just, uh, but that's the stuff that happens. I've learned under the influence of drugs and alcohol, Anything's possible. And I also know with my behavior, my, anything's possible on my own behavior. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I can't do this, I'm not going to do that, oh, I would never do that. As you continue to drink and drug, or if you happen to use drugs, whatever, I mean, those yets all become part of your story. You know, so there's, there's a really progressive nature to my disease. You know, as far as, as far as drug use, I know it's like in Alcoholics Anonymous, we like to make that distinction between alcohol use and drug use. But I know 
My disease doesn't make that distinction. It doesn't care what goes into my system. And so I have to be careful, you know, about drinking and drugging. I mean, it's just even like, I don't, I'm careful about what's, what's cooked in my food. I know it all, all, the, all the wine burns off and all that stuff, but I don't want to know. So I usually say, you know, do you cook this in wine or something like that? I don't know. I just play kind of conservative. By some miracle, I got through school. You know, but I'll remember towards the end, I mean, I had to drop out of school for a while because, I mean, I just was just so burned out. And I worked in a factory for a while. And that keeps you really straight. I'm going back to school. I don't want to work in this factory anymore. You know, and, um, and I remember toward the tail end uh, of college, um, I, I'm out of control and I know it. And I remember I went to, to, to the counseling services there and I explained to this girl, you know, I just drink too much. And she goes, well, you're a business major and you have good grades. You'll just have to learn how to drink. <laughs> and I say, this person works in a counseling center? She's got no idea. She's got no idea. I can't, I know people aren't like that anymore because I think, nowadays, I think if you're in the field of, if you're in the field of psychology or on counseling, you're going to get some, hist you're going to get some counseling, you're going to get some schooling on alcoholism. I guarantee it. So, I was, like I said, I was out of control. Um, and by some miracle, I got through, co I got through college. And I, I still this day, I don't know. It took me six years and a third. So it took me a long time. Fortunately, at the University of Tennessee, if you, if you got an F, you could always erase it, take the course over. They didn't average it out. So that's the only reason I got through school. Otherwise, all those Fs I got would, would, would have never happened. Um, but towards the end, I mean, if, I, I knew I, gra I graduated and I was still in Knoxville and I graduated and I, what I was doing was I was working in a bar. You know, I'm using my degree really well. And so a couple of my friends from Chicago came to get me. They said, you're coming home. <laughs> so what happened was uh, I just decided to come home to the Chicago area. But before that, I did get to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, I, I called and, and I called this, this guy up and, uh, you know, he told me they got a, they got a program here, kind of an outpatient thing. And uh, I told him, I don't have any money. He says, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell what, why don't you come down and come to a meeting? So I went down there, I went to the meeting uh, and, you know, we're talking November, 1980, you know, we're talking 41 years ago. You know, that's a long time ago, but that's how long I've been around alcoholics and I was 41 years, but I'm not going to tell you I got 41 years sobriety. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but I remember the meeting because that, that message of hope was planted. And it also destroyed my drinking because that's another promise. If you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, your drinking is never going to be the same. Because you know there's another way. You don't, have to, you don't have to live like that. You know, but it's your disease, it's tough. It's tough. So anyways, I, I, I went with my buddies. I went back to Chicago. And... Uh, I don't think my parents really knew what was going on with my alcoholism because <laughs> I was there. My mom, um, she goes down to Florida. She, I mean, she goes down to Florida. My dad's there. So I'm there with my dad and, you know, I'm just doing my own thing. And, you know, he's just, 
starting to recognize that I'm doing a lot of drinking. And, and you know, he's, I don't know, he, was, he just didn't force the issue. But uh, I, I just couldn't control my alcoholism. I just couldn't. I can remember some of the things I was doing. My parents were kind of restricting the use of my car, thank God. <laughs> but somebody would take me to a bar, and, and this is the kind of stupid stuff I did. I did a lot of stupid stuff. I remember I was at a bar, and I'm sitting next to a guy, and he's got his keys there. And I'm all rolling, and, I'm, and he goes up to the bathroom or whatever, and I rolled the key off his keychain, and I stole his car. <laughs> and I did that a couple of times. You know? Just no respect. No res- and I remember I did this another time, and these guys chased me. They got in their car, and they chased me, and they pulled me out of their car and beat the crap out of me. You know, just, and the cops were there, and the cops didn't even do anything. They didn't even do anything. But that's, I don't know. I was just, just crazy behavior, crazy, insane behavior. So um, I did start going to meetings. Um, I just, just decided to start going. Um, I, I, I graduated from college and, and I, like for a while I was working in a liquor store and I was bartending. And then I decided to get sober. Uh, I, I went to a meeting, I, I mean, it was one after one of the stolen car incidences, and I said, this has got to stop. <laughs> this has really got to stop. <laughs> and uh, so I went, and I went to the meeting, and I talked to these guys, and uh, I remember this guy, his name was Jaws. And I was impressed with the guy, because uh, he worked for a pharmaceutical company, you know, and he, he did research on how, to, on how to make quaaludes. So I was really impressed with him. But he took me home... <laughs> And uh, to his place, and he didn't give me, you know, he didn't, I don't know if he didn't have a big book there, but he gave me a book, and I still got it. And the book he gave me was AA Comes of Age, you know, it was on the archives. (laughs) I don't know why he ever gave me it, but I still got that book. And uh, so that's like, you know, 41 years ago. But I decided to give this thing a shot. And so um, I decided I'm going to meetings every day. I just decided I'm going to go to meetings every day. And one thing I did in my life, most of my life, was caddying. I, I golfed. I was always a crazy golfer. So I started caddying every day. Tuesday through, uh, Tuesday through Sunday, I would caddy. And on Mondays, I'd play golf. And then uh, I went to all these meetings, and I just kept going to meetings. And, you know, just every day and meeting more people. Um, and it was great. Um, but I did that for about six months. Uh, Eventually, fall came, and I couldn't caddy anymore, and so I got a job at a sporting goods store. And I don't know, I got what I would call the, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but I just, is this all there is? You know, I've been sober for six months. My life's pretty manageable. My parents, man, they're, oh, they're really happy. <laughs> and, uh, but I just had this piss-ass attitude, you know, is this all there is, or I'm bored, or whatever. And I remember, uh, I, I, uh, I went out and I, I drank. I was at this, uh, I don't know, some party, and I just decided to just drink. And, and I'm off to the races again. Um, and, and it doesn't take long for, you know, trouble to happen. Um, I, I, in between this time, too, I'd been to a, I'd been to a rehab. Uh, I'd been to a 21-day rehab. Um, and, you know, I got a five days later, I drank. Um, 
And so once again, uh, you know, I started drinking again. And uh, my mom's in Florida, but my dad's on the road all the time. So I'm in this house, my parents' house. I can remember the stuff, some st other stupid stuff. I can remember one time just cooking some food and passing out. And that, and that pan is burning. The place is smoking up. And, the, you know, aluminum burning is not a real good smell in the house, you know. You know, all this stuff. I mean, accidents. You know, I think that's how a lot of drunks just, they don't die from drinking. They drive from accidents. You know, stupid stuff like that while we're drinking. But eventually, um, I, I'd heard a guy uh, relapse, and he went to a place called Alina Lodge in Blairstown, New Jersey. So I really... You know, I was on this relapse, and, and I remember I, I, just eventually, I just went to my doctor, and, and eventually um, they just, it, I don't know, I ended in a, after talking to him, I ended up in a psych ward. I don't know, just, I ended up in the psych wards lots of times. I didn't go to detox, I go to psych wards. But uh, that's where I ended up, and, uh, and so we talked there, and, you know, he knew I'd had some experience in AA and that I'd been to a rehab. And, you know, they kind of recommended that I go to Alina Lodge. And it was a good experience. I'm glad I went to Alina Lodge. I'll tell you, with my disease, I didn't always get what I wanted, but I got what I needed. And that's what I needed to do. I needed to get out. I needed to get out of my parents' house and just go somewhere. And I went somewhere. I went to Alina Lodge, and it was a blessing. There was some uh, fabulous people there. Um, you know, it was, it was a rehab over in Blairstown, New Jersey. It was run by a lady by the name of Geraldino Delaney, who got sober in the 1940s. And brother was 12-step by Bill W. So um, this was some real history of AA people. And uh, somebody described it as kind of like the Paris Island of rehabs. Because <laughs> your life is surrounded by, like, Two other buildings, and then the place where we had meetings, and the place where we had breakfast, and there's a figure eight, and the only sports were horseshoes, and I became a championship horseshoe player. <laughs> but, um, and I spent about a year there. I mean, it was a minimum stay, 90 days, and, uh, and, and when, when they said I'm ready to go, they said, you, one thing for sure, you're not going home, because we're not going to let you let your parents enable you any further. So he said, why don't you stay here and get a job in New Jersey? And so I did. I stayed in Blairstown, New Jersey. I stayed there for a while, and I got a job in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And I, I, I got involved with my, the home group at the time was the Kirkridge group. It was a speaker meeting um, in Delaware Water Gap. Good group of guys. Um, so I started staying sober for a while. But it's a, it, it, I would come back, I mean, about, about eight months later, you know, it was a piss-ass attitude again. Is this all there is? And, and the whole thing is, I don't know what it was back then. And we're talking the early, early 1980s. So, I don't know. I didn't get, I just didn't hear the message on working the steps. I just didn't hear it, like you get now. I mean, I hear it all the time. And that's the great thing about this area, is because you're going to talk about working the steps. And working the steps with your, with your sponsor. You know, get involved in a home group and sponsorship. I, I don't know. I just didn't have that. But I did have sponsors. I always had sponsors. Um, so, I, I mean, I would relapse again. And then I went back to Alina Lodge and I got out. And then I would put some time together. Um, and my story, you know, from then in, and I, 
that from that point on is in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for 17 years. And it's a story I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to wish on anybody. But that's the story for a lot of us. You know, we just come and we go back out. And, and the thing is, once you go back out, you think, well, I, you know, I can come back, you know, when I get tired of this. You know, it's not like that. I'll never forget the, um, one time I relapsed and my, and my sponsor at the time said, listen, I, I know you can't stop drinking. Um, and he just, he just picked me up and, and we just drove around. I mean, I was in the Poconos, I don't know, I think we actually drove up to Scranton and we were just talking and just, it was just good to talk to him. But, you know, I just told him, I said, I can't stop drinking. I just can't. And you can take me anywhere. It doesn't matter. I'm going to leave. I'm going to drink, you know, because I just had to hit another bottom. It's just, I don't, I don't have the choice in that. You know, that's, that's between, that's God, you know, when I'm going to be able to pick, put down that drink again. I really don't know when. It's not a self-will thing. It's not a self-will thing. You know, and I, I think of just some of the stories on some of these relapses, because I like to use, I used to like to leave uh, the Poconos and run to New York City, you know, and go up there and do my thing up there and, uh, and then come back here. And it, it's just, it was always bad. It was always just, just crazy stuff. Um, you know, I, I just feel like I, I, I just I'm so lucky, like I, I've already said, just to just be alive. I can remember some of those guys. There was a guy at this Kirkridge group, Lou, who used to say, I'm just grateful to be sucking air, you know, just to be sober. You know, and so I'll, I'll never forget. Also, I'll tell you about a relapse in New York, you know. So, which, you know, I go, I go to New York and, you know, I'm drinking and doing my thing. And um, I go to a sobriety checkpoint. And the police officer says, have you been drinking? Yeah, I've been drinking. He says, don't tell me you've been drinking. He says, listen, get in that line over there. Pull over the other line on the side. And so, actually, he directed me to the line to go to Connecticut. So I went to Connecticut. I, I, just, I mean, that was the purpose to go to Connecticut. I was trying to come back to the Poconos. So I said, okay, well, that's cool. And so I, I, drove, I drove to Connecticut, and I got in Bridgeport, 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 Connecticut. And so I remember Bridgeport, Connecticut. I was at that rehab where they had that British, uh, Bridgeport Hospital film. So why don't I just get off of Bridgeport, Connecticut here? So, uh, you know, I pull off into a bar, and I'm drinking. And I guess I had a lot of money, so, you know... Uh, not a smart thing to do in Bridgeport, Connecticut, if you don't know anybody. And then, uh, so I'm drinking, I'm drinking with this guy. And he says, hey, you know, says, you want to go to another bar? And I said, yeah, sure, let's go to another bar. He says, let me get a bottle first. And so I got a bottle, and we're walking down the street. And he takes that bottle, and he smashes it across my face. You know, and so my glasses are busted, and my eyelid is just like hanging over my eye. Cause, and, and luckily, this cab driver picks me up. It's, and where does he take me? Bridgeport Hospital. Bridgeport Hospital. And so they, they stitched me up. And, uh, you know, I got out. You know, God bless strangers. So many strangers have helped me out. You know, just so many unbelievable strangers have helped me out. And uh, so I got out of there and... Uh, 
you know, I can't even see. My gla- I'll tell you, I can't even see with my glasses. And so I got in the car, and what did I do? I decided to drive to Boston. I have no idea why I decided to drive to Boston, but I went to Boston. But, and then I got lost there, and I started driving back. But I'll never forget on the way back, I went into a McDonald's to get a, like an Egg McMuffin. <laughs> and, you know, my shirt is covered in blood. And I am stitched up. And this person looked at me like, oh, my God, what happened to you? And I said, just give me the sandwich. You know, just. And, you know, eventually I made it back to the Poconos. I remember going back to my home group. I went back to AA. Once again, you know, I, you know another adventure. And uh, I go to my home group. And I remember, I just, God, you know, I got always stitches up here. So I decided to wear like a headband, you know, like, a, like the red badge of courage or something. And, uh, and I remember, forget, Ed G comes up to me. You know, he's just the old timer. And he says, haven't you had enough yet? You know, he says, go sit in the front row. That's where you should be. That's why I sat in the front row today, because they always told me to sit in the front row. I listen to these old timers sometimes. You know, God bless those old timers. You know, I still remember those guys in the Kirkridge group, because I can remember when I got out of that rehab uh, at Alina Lodge, I didn't have anything. I was living at the YMCA on Main Street, and those guys would pick me up every night, and we would travel. We would go to Blairstown. I mean, we'd go to Blairstown. We would go to Newport. Or, um, and uh, we would go to Allentown, we would go to Delaware Water Gap. These guys traveled all the time. So we did a lot of traveling, and you know, I'm grateful to those guys. And I'm getting lost here. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, I mean, that, that was a story. And I've got other ones like that. I mean, just, but I, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you those stories. Those are war stories. I mean, that's just a typical story. I mean, I'm out of control. And anything's going to happen. Anything. I could die. I could lose my mind. I don't know. Anything was possible. Because once I pick up a drink, I can't predict my behavior. So, I can't. I would always come back. You know, and they told me, keep coming back. But then also, you know, I think of some of my poor sponsors. Because I can remember the one poor sponsor of mine says, I can't take this anymore. You know, I'm firing you. You know, I just, because I really can't, I can't, I can't handle it. You don't listen and stuff, and, and, but somebody else would pick me up and sponsor me. So I kept coming back. Um, and, you know, I would put together some time, you know. I can, I can you know, it's, talk about crazy how, I remember I'm working at the YMCA, I'm like, crap, cat's scrap yard for $1.90 an hour. Boy, am I aging myself, huh? And, uh... Sorting out metal and brass and newspapers and all that stuff. And then, you know, two years later, I'm working at the bank across the street as a commercial lender in the commercial lending department. How did I pull that off? But a year later, I'm working for one of somebody else and I'm cleaning up lots because they're building houses there because I lost a job. You know, I went out and got drunk and uh, I lost a job. I, they gave me a couple of shots, but they said no more. So... You know, it's just, that was just the nature of my disease. It was the progression of the disease. But I kept coming back. Um, you know, one, once again, I was up in the Poconos, and uh, like that, that one sponsor I talked about that, you know, we got together and up in Scranton, and, you know, he had a game plan together for me. Because if, you know, if I could ever put a couple days together, um, 
that he wanted to ship me up, ship me to a place called um, Blue Mountain House, which is now White Deer Run. Um, so that's eventually, uh, um, I ended up in a psych ward again. And uh, I, went to, I went to this place, Blue Mountain House. And, you know, it was another blessing uh, that I was able to come here. Um, it was run by a guy named Bobby, who was a crazy guy. The only reason he ever bought the property anyways, because he wanted to make a methamphetamine lab, because he's from Philadelphia. But he got sober, so he decided to make this place a rehab. So it wasn't really a rehab. It was kind of like a, a three-quarter way halfway house. And Bobby was good people, but um, I don't know. I, I had a hard time getting along with him, like a lot of other people in there did. So it was certainly not anything accredited. It was just a bunch of drunks in his basement. And he would take us in his station wagon uh, to, out to uh, the Pocono area because there was a guy that was a fabulous counselor um, who later would wind up running uh, Marworth. Good, good people. And, and uh, so we would have uh, therapy sessions with him as a group, and it was just a real blessing. So, um, and that, that was the winter of 1993, and that was when all that snow, there was just tons of snow that was all piled up. And, you know, I, I remember I was a driver because a lot of, I would drive the guys to meetings because a lot of the guys didn't have their license. But I, I still remember that winter. But uh, fortunately for me, uh, Bobby and I had a falling out, and I said, I don't want to drink. I just got to get out of here. You've done everything you can for me. And so uh, I said, take me to a hotel in Bethlehem. I'm going to get started. That's what I want to do. He said, no. We're going to take you to see Walt. Walt W., who is a good AA guy out in Kutztown. And he's got a kind of like another AA guy halfway house. And so I stayed there. And I wound up staying in Walt's place for like six or seven years. Great guy. And I got us, things were good, going good here. I'm not going to say I stayed sober all the time. I mean, I had a couple of short relapses, but I started getting a little more serious about this. I got a good sponsor, uh, a guy named Jay, good guy. And um, he's still my sponsor today. He's been my sponsor for, I don't know, 25 years. So, so I started working with him. And uh, I'm working second shift, and, I, and I'm coming here on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday at 10, Wednesday at 11, and uh, at 12 o'clock, I'd come here on Friday. So thank goodness for those meetings. Because I was working second shift. And if you're in second shift living in Kutztown, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to travel. Because I would, I would go Tuesdays, I'd go to Allentown. Monday, Wednesday, I'd come here. And Thursday, I'd start a meeting in Kutztown. <laughs> so I had a meeting to go to every day. Because that's what I had to do. I tell you, man, I went to, I went to meetings every day for years. For years. Because that's what I needed. So I met my sponsor there and started giving this thing a shot, just to the best of my ability, um, and working the steps to my ability. I would work the steps before, um, but I, I did things like uh, I didn't know how to really do it, and it, it didn't seem like my sponsors really knew how to do it either, really. Um, you know, they just tell me, just read the big book or whatever. But later, I, I, as 
as my sobriety progressed, I would get people that would tell me a better way to do a four step. <laughs> but uh, like, I remember, so I said, yeah, why don't you use Blueprint for Progress, which is the Al-Anon four step guide, which is a good, good four step guide, but you know, I should probably be using the big book. And I did the Hazelton guide. You know, but eventually, um, one of these counselors gave me um, this list. It was basically telling you how to do the, how you do the four step on the big book. You know, it's just make a list of your resentments, your fears, and do an inventory of your sexual conduct. And you know, that's the way to do it. That's, that's what worked for me. Um, so I just, uh, I've done the best I can. Um, so eventually I did get sober. Uh, and I've been sober, I've been sober since 1997. So um, it's, been a, it's been a few years, thank God. And, uh, but I can tell you, I'll tell you one night where um, something made a big difference. And it was a guy named Barry, who's not with us anymore. He died of a motorcycle accident, but it was a heck of a guy. He was one of my roommates when I lived in Kutztown. And I remember I was having a hard time in a relationship. Um, I, was, I was living with a girl in West Reading, and this relationship was going down the tubes. And I'll tell you what, a lot of my relapses had to do with relationships that didn't work out, and I decided drinking was the option. Not a good option. I didn't have very good tools in relationships. I really didn't. Because when I learned, when I, learned how, I was drinking before I even started dating. You know, I had no tools. I had no tools in relationships. But this uh, one particular night, Barry knew I was having a hard time about this relationship, and I needed to get out. I'd gotten out a month before, but she asked me to come back. And so it was the same thing, and you know, like, you know, it's time to get out, Jim, but what are you doing here, you know? And so Barry says, listen, I don't care what time it is. If you're having a hard time and you feel like you need to drink, you call me, okay? Now, I live on, third and Pine, I, I live on Fourth and Pine, and there's a place called Third and Spruce, two blocks away. And I was on my way down there. You know what? I called him. I called him. It's the first time I ever called anybody. You know, I said, call somebody. And I called him. And that just broke the whole cycle of all these relapses that I ever had. Because I reached out. And what he told me, he says, why don't you go down to the detox down at Reading Hospital and just go talk to them? And I did. I, I didn't need to be detoxed, but I just went down there, I talked to him, I hung out with him for a little while. And eventually I just went home and went to sleep. You know, and eventually, within a day or two, you know, I called my sponsor and he said, get out of there, go, go back to Waltz. So I, I went back to Waltz, you know, back to Kutztown. So that was the big break that, you know, uh, because I reached out, that was the difference. That's the thing that I could not do, I could not reach out. That was the hardest thing for me to do is to reach out to another alcoholic and say, I need help. Because I grew up on that, like, I grew up on the school of self-sufficiency. And it works well in my family for, like, my father and stuff. It doesn't work for me. I, I need people. And I need to reach out to people when I'm in trouble. And, and you know what? I need to reach out to people all the time because I don't know when I'm in trouble half the time. So, so I was able to reach out. Got involved. At this time, too, I was, in, I was involved with, I, I had a home group. It was, it was a Sunday morning speaker meeting. And uh, like I said, this has, been, this has been my home group for like 24 years. And it's been a real blessing to, to have a home group. 
And it's, it's not to say it hasn't been a struggle, because there's, there's been times in that home group where I was the only home group member. <laughs> you know, me and maybe another person. So it, it was a struggle. But uh, I just stuck with it. I, I just, I, I've always belonged to home group on speaker meetings, you know, in Jersey, up in the Poconos. So uh, I was really grateful that, you know, this home group was here. So, um, and I always got involved in service. I, I mean, after then, I just started being a GSR, you know. I, I guess I was a GSR for our group for, I don't know, eight or nine years. I really don't know. I, don't, I wasn't keeping track. It's just my size of my home group. I think about our coffee maker. He's on his probably 12th year. He's, poor Larry, he's been making coffee for 12 years, but he won't give it up. He refused. Monday through Friday, he's on the road. He's an electrical worker. He's on the road all the time. He doesn't ever know when he can get to a meeting, but he knows he's got to be at the Sunday morning speaker meeting to make coffee. So you'll find Larry there, unless he's out hunting, you know, which he was a few weeks ago. So thank goodness for Larry. And, you know, but we have a good, solid group of people in our home group now. I guess we've got four or five people, which is good. That's what we need. And the people that are helping there are all serious about staying sober. And they're all committed to making sure that that group is a success. And, uh, and it's been that way. So, uh, you know, I, I went through being a GSR, and, you know, I got involved in their group for a while, you know, would do, be, do, do some things in their group. Um, I've, I've always liked being active uh, with the prisons at times or taking commitments. I have a special place in my heart for the people at Warnersville State Hospital. I don't know why, I just do. I, I, I would go to Warnersville State Hospital all the time. I can remember I used to go up to Warnersville State Hospital when they had the Rainbow House, and that was for people who had AIDS. You know, going up there and giving people rides to hospital, to uh, doctor's appointments and stuff like that. So I don't know, Warnersville State Hospital has got a special place in my heart, I don't know why. Probably because I come from a home with, like my own mother, she's got mental health problems. And you know, I'm a lot, I've been a lot like my mother, I know. I, I, you know. I guess I could qualify for one of those people that you know, I have grave emotional mental problems. I mean, I've, I've been through depression and stuff like that. I had a very tough year in sobriety. I'm like 12 years sober and I got hit with a depression that like blew me away. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, I just, I threw myself in the AA and I just, uh, you know, just worked the steps and, you know, with another guy and just did it. And, and but, you know, this is Jim again, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do medication, you know, so, but eventually I got some medication and took it right away. But, uh, you know, that's between you and your doctor. That's not between you and your sponsor. <laughs> that's between you and your doctor, but you can share that information with your sponsor. So uh, I'm still on some medication today, and that's okay. And I, I could still have problems with depression. And you know, one of my problems too is tendency, I don't know, I'm kind of an introvert, and I kind of like to do things alone. It's just my nature, um, but that's okay. But I need to stay active. <clears throat> Um, and I know I, I have weaknesses in my own program. I'm just not a big telephone person. I'm not. I probably never will be. But, um, you know, I'll pick it up. I'll pick up the phone. I, I call my sponsor. I try to get a hold of him every once in a while. And he knows that. So, uh, you know, I, I try to do the best I can. Um, you know, trying to get to meetings, uh, sponsorship, helping other people. I haven't had much uh, luck sponsoring other people. I've sponsored some other people. And it just doesn't seem to be my thing. It's just, that's why I like working with my home group or I, I like working with um, district or intergroup. 
I sponsor people. I get them through the steps, and then they want to go on and do something else, and that's okay. So uh, that's just not my thing. But there's plenty of service work to do. It doesn't have to be just a sponsor. So uh, my, my speaker meeting keeps going on uh, and uh, with my home group, uh, which I'm forever grateful. I'll tell you what, I'm also grateful too, is Muhlenberg Township. They are a fabulous, fabulous township that lets us use that recreational center. And, uh, you know, they're wonderful that we can rent a place like that. Uh, they've been very supportive. Um, you, know, you know, what else can I say? Um, you know, and I, I've had experience too. Uh, like, I'll never forget, I had a, um, I, w I worked for PI committee, public information, and which was a good experience because I, I, I remember I went in to see uh, Judge Dean Patton one time. And he said, why don't you bring a meeting to the district justice meeting? <laughs> oh, my God. So me and Nikki and another person, you know, had all these district justices there. And we could tell them about Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a really cool thing. But a couple of people were interested, but they were probably happy when we left. Because <laughs> whatever. But that's good. We need to do stuff like that. You know, I don't know, even, I'm getting off track now, but I noticed, like, I watched the Weather Channel, and, and it's channel, um, I don't know, 249 on, uh, on cable. And so it's not the weather thing. And Lehigh Valley AA does these ads all the time about Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just thought that was so cool that they're doing that. LVAA, you know, that's, and I said, man, I sometimes I think that this is almost like a little bit beyond uh, public information, you know, like it sounds like promotional, but that's okay. The message is out there. They have recordings all the time. And so, you know, blessings to Lehigh Valley AA, you know, that they're able to do that today. Got to get the message out, you know? So um, I just want to share some, share some things about... Uh, one thing I really believe, in, and I think that's kept me all along, is, is uh, I, I've been a reader. I, I've always been books. I mean, I, li I worked at Borders Bookstores for years, and you know, before they left. And uh, I always loved the big book and AA literature. Um, and there's some things in the big book that are just so important to me. And one of those uh, is just a, maybe a sentence is that uh, my sobriety is contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And I literally, from that sentence, I base my whole spiritual program. I really do. Um, I struggled with religion. Uh, when I was down in Tennessee, there were some Southern Baptists down there who were a little concerned about me too. And, uh, <laughs> but God bless them. They, didn't know, they don't know what to do with the drunk. But... Um, I listened to them. I really did, because I knew I was empty, empty inside. I mean, I was a shell of a person. There was no spirit in there. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff caught on. Um, I, I would try going to church and things like that, and, uh, but I, I really struggled with church. Um, uh, early in my drinking days, I wanted to join the Mormon church because I was just, you know, so desperate. And, you know, I used to have a real uh, resentment with the Mormon church, but I don't have that kind of resentment anymore. I don't care. That's just their own conception of God, and that's good for them. And, uh, you know, so I, the, the last part of the A, Bs, and Cs, God couldn't what he saw. That's another one that's just like, whew, that means everything to me. So I, I really had to ask that question, what does that mean to me? 
And uh, I've really been drawn uh, to like Eastern religions and meditation. So I've always been very interested in that. And so uh, I've really kind of taken off on that. Um, I, I've, I, any, any kind of different schools of meditation I, I, I check into. Um, I've been involved with a, a, a Zen Buddhist group uh, for over 20 years now. We met over in Albright College. So, I mean, every Sunday morning I go with the, with the Zen group for two hours and then I go to my home group. So that's how I did, that's how for like 20 years I've been doing my Sundays. And uh, that's been very helpful to me. You know, once I was able to address that, uh, you know, like that meditation program, that was important to me. And, and still is today. Um, so uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for those people that are involved in that group. And a lot of people in AA get, has gotten involved in that group too. So, uh, and I think uh, the big book talks about taking advantage of people from, of faith, uh, of psychology, you know, take whatever you can get. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Because I've had a couple, couple of counselors. You know, I, I, spent, uh, I spent a lot of year, I spent a year in the basement of Steve F. <laughs> I, wanna, I guess I should keep his anonymity. <laughs> you know, just doing, you know, therapy, group therapy. Um, and, and that was life-saving. I mean, I've been, I've probably spent a couple years in therapy. So uh, I'm going to take every tool that I can get. So um, I, I think, uh, just to say the thing about it, I think the pandemic kind of threw me off. And it still does. It, it, I'm, I'm not the same. I'm, I'm different. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's just like our home group. We got shut down. We got shut down a couple times. We were, we were meeting in the park <laughs> on a picnic bench. <laughs> And, you know, in a shelter, and sometimes it would rain, and one time that thing with that picnic bench was out of water. <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have a meeting that week. And then, uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately the group's coming back. It's strong. Uh, you know, we're still having meetings, and, we're, you know, the attendance has been getting a lot more. But, you know, me individually, I, you know, I guess for a stretch, I just stopped going to meetings, and the Zoom meetings just, they were good for a while, but after a while, I just, I, it's not the same as meeting people. I mean, I, I really, it's so important to get together as people. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I feel like I'm surviving. You know, I hate to see this thing still, you know, just kicking ass, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people are going to meetings. You know, and I, I'm glad to see the meetings are going well. And my home group is going well. So I, I think I'm kind of taking my own inventory that uh, I've kind of picked up my meetings a little bit. Uh, I need to do that. All I've been going is three meetings. My home group and down in Tarkerton, there's a couple of meetings. And... Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I came out here. I said, you know what? I need, to, I need to get out a little bit. I need to stretch it out a little bit. I just can't be seeing the same people all the time. So, uh, so I'm just grateful for, to be here. Uh, you know, my sobriety is about the grace of God. Nothing else. You know, and I've been given that gift. And I want to keep that gift. You know, I just, uh, it's the most precious gift that I have. And that's all I have. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.